All episodes of the Garage Build podcast are recorded live in the Law Fran studios. The law offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Call 1-866-LAW-FRAN or go to lawfran.com. The law offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. Welcome back to the Garage Bill Podcast. Hey, this episode of the Garage Bill Podcast is brought to you by SNS Cycles. Since 1958, SNS has led the V Twin aftermarket from innovative new ways to get air and fuel into your performance twin to big bore kits for all big twin sportsters and today's M8s to today's must have exhaust system components. Choose SNS Cycles for your next performance upgrade. Make sure you visit SS Cycle. Dot com and follow SNS Cycles on social media at SS Cycle. We are also brought to you by the Arlen Ness Motorcycle Company. Save 10%, receive free shipping in the lower 48 when you use our sales code, GarageBill10, on all orders at ArlenNess.com. We're also brought to you by the team over at Dream Rides in Tennessee. Maryville, Tennessee is minutes from the tail of the dragon, and Dream Rides specializes in performance engine upgrades, used bike sales, service, maintenance, and repair. Visit TeamDreamRides.com and follow at Dream Rides Tennessee on Instagram to keep up with all the latest news. This November, I am going on the High Seas Rally. It sets sail October 29th through November 5th on the high seas for the only motorcycle rally on a cruise ship. One week, 3,500 bikers and four Caribbean ports. Follow at High Seas Rally on Instagram and use the code Speed Metal. You're saving a hundred bucks on your cabin price when you book using that code. And we're throwing in the drink card this time. We are always brought to you by Electric Lighting, featuring top-shelf LEDs backed by 30 years of cutting-edge, industry-leading manufacturing and the best warranty in the market. Use the sales code SPEED2022, and you're going to get free shipping in the lower 48 on all orders over 50 bucks at namscustomcycleproducts.com. Last but not least, I am always laced up in the finest American-made workwear from 1620 Workwear, premium made in the USA workwear, guaranteed for life. Visit 1620usa.com and use my code SPEED2022, and you're going to save 20% at checkout. You can also follow them at 1620USA on Instagram. I've got a great show for you today. It's Mr. Jonathan Wise from Vapor Honing Technologies in North Carolina. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Garage Bill Podcast with your host, Jason Coleman. Hey, welcome back to the Garage Bill Podcast. I am your host, Jason Hallman, and I'm here with a friend of mine, Jonathan Wise from Vapor Hone Technologies in North Carolina, right? That's correct. Thank you for uh, for coming in to do this. This is uh, I've been wanting to do this with you for some time, especially when the pandemic was going on, because that was we had our we had gotten uh, acquired our second cabinet, and uh, I, you know, you've been here a couple times. This is your third time here now, yep. and I had to learn what vapor honing was from a customer. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you why don't you start with what vapor honing actually is because it was a lost art at one time, right? It was, yeah. <clears throat> Let's see if I can remember. Um, so no, yeah, uh, it was an industrial process back in the '60s, back in the '70s. Um, <clears throat> wasn't well known. Again, just industrial based. Nobody 
nobody like you and I would be using it um, if it weren't for 2011 and 2012 to happen. And that's when, you know, I started working with the process and <clears throat> building equipment, um, testing, prototyping. But um, so to talk about the process, you know, basically we created equipment for anybody, you know, at right. any price level, um, at any shop level, size, any business level, really. And so <clears throat> that's what we did. But, you know, wet blasting or vapor honing, as we like to call it, is mixing water with abrasive. And so when you mix water with abrasive, it has a multitude of different things that it's capable of doing, degreasing, um, finishing the part, so making it look aesthetically pleasing. Right. Um, or just rough, rough cleaning. Um, some companies use it for deburring, coating prep, so on and so forth. It has so many applications for it, and you mix so many different abrasives with the water, um, which creates this wet process that we know as wet blasting, vapor blasting, vapor honing. So it it <clears throat> it's such a it's such a big deal because you can do so many different things with it. And, you know, my passion's always been in bikes and right. and in cars, which is really how I got here. You know, that's how this all happened. Um, just luck of the draw, basically. You know, building engines in my garage and trying to figure out a better way, you know, to make my life easier and to make the parts look better. Yeah, and so one of the things that you've done uh, – very successfully and, and it's really one of the coolest things and i don't know if you've even thought about it is that your company vapor honing technologies has coined the phrase vapor honing to where now that's what that process is called so it's kind of like a, a coca-cola or a kleenex or uh, um something like that that you have really because there's other companies out there that that have um replicated what you're doing right That's i mean right. once smoke gets let out of the bottle uh yep. you know everybody's trying to everybody's trying to replicate that right and there's yep. people that have, that have done that and but the process of vapor honing now is it's it is like that's the that's the household name for that process so you have like this leg up because you were kind of the first one to reintroduce this and you did it in such a way that i mean i don't even know if it was planned to call it vapor honing and the vapor honing technology and all that stuff i don't know what the arc of that was and i definitely want to hear how the arc of that went because you've told me little anecdotal sto stories along the way in the last three yeah. years since we've known each other of your wife thinking you were crazy out in the garage building things and you obviously have um probably failed several times before you had the successful thing to it. So let's, let's start with that and talk about kind of some of the failures that you had in, in business. Yeah. It's always good to talk about those. So you remember them and never forget them. Um, in the beginning, you know, I actually initially did not plan on building and selling the equipment, right? It was mainly, Hey, how can I do this for myself? Number one. Sure. And the number two, okay, well, if I can do it for myself, and not tear my shit up, you know, okay, right. well, we can do it for customers. Sure. <laughs> um, so, so that's really, <clears throat> that's, that's what happened there. Um, started doing it for myself, figured it out, started doing it for customers. And before you knew it, before I knew it, um, I had people coming to me saying, Hey, you know, how can I do this? Right. Not just how can you do it for me, but how can I do this in my shop? or, you know, in my business. Yeah, because that's that's two <clears throat> entirely different business models, right? 
<clears throat> you provide equipment to people that have a vapor honing. Like, you know, we have a sideline company here that we call Central Florida Vapor Honing. And I did that specifically just to kind of play off the, the word process. If someone's Googling vapor honing Florida, well, I would like to think that if the algorithm is, is working properly, that we're going to get somebody that's looking for Florida vapor honing is, you know, those three words are there and yep. the process is in the name. So I, I think it's, that's quite brilliant. Yeah. It, um, it's, it, it's, it's just how it worked out. You know, I mean, we were, we were, well, I say we, but it was just myself back in the day. I um, like the we pronoun though. Yeah. I learned that the hard way. One time I worked for a company and I was like, I kept telling her, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And yeah. I was talking to the CEO and she's like, Hey, you need to, you need to lose that word in business. That word, uh, if you can lose that in your vernacular, yeah. um, you're going to get more goodwill from from the outside in. You know, if you just learn to use the we pronoun. Yeah, I think I started using it as soon as it was uh, one other employee involved. Right then, there's we. Day. Yeah, we. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's really how it began. You know, just doing it yourself, then doing service work, then people asking about it. Right. Um, building the first couple machines that were completely failed. I mean, they were horrible machines. What failed with them? Um, the, the, well, you have to understand, you know, back in the day, people think that I had access to the best tools and space and equipment and, and money and all that stuff. But actually the opposite was true. I didn't know how to weld. I didn't know how to paint anything. I really wasn't a mechanic. I wasn't a salesperson. Right. I wanted to be, um, I was kind of a marketer more so than anything. Right. And I did have business aspects and business side of things. So I had the supply chain down, you know, I understood supply chain, um, ways to cut costs, so on and so forth. But <clears throat> yeah, I mean, back in the day, the reason they failed was because they just weren't built well. Um, they weren't welded well, they weren't powder coated, right? They were painted. Um, some of the paint wasn't working right. Um, some of the metals we used were too thin. Uh, versus, you know, thicker metals. That VH1000 that we have is yeah. built like what I would call a, a, for lack of a better term, a brick shit house. I don't, I can't ever see, I know you guys, that's something I want to talk about too, is you guys have like this thing, this guarantee where, you know, that there's always value in, in that machine if that's you want right. to scale up. But I can't even imagine not wanting that machine because that's a, I don't think that's an early machine, but it's definitely... You know, I mean, that thing is is robust. It's built like a tank. Right. Yeah, it's it, all stainless too. I think. It's all stainless steel. Um, that's one thing we realized early on too that hey, it had to be stainless steel. It doesn't have to be stainless steel, but it needs to be stainless steel. Right. So a lot of people will choose car. Not a lot. Some people would choose carbon steel just because of the price. Sure. Uh, maybe they want the cabinet, you know, big enough to to do certain size parts. But um, stainless steel is the way to go. <clears throat> You know, stainless steel, we got hurt really bad when COVID happened with stainless. I'm sure. We couldn't find it. Um, the price went up 400%. I mean, it was just astronomical. You know, and so, and it's, we're still struggling with those effects. Yeah, I but, mean, I think every, <clears throat> economically, that's one thing that, the, that conversation isn't happening at dinner tables. The conversation that's happening at dinner tables is generally $5 gas, groceries being more expensive, yep. you know, the price of Air Jordan's going up. But the conversations at the conference tables are, we may not be able to produce the product that we have because we can't get X, yep. Y, or Z. You know, because the customer at the end of the day is still looking at you like, hey, can you provide me this product at this price? Yeah, I bought one you at know? this price. Yeah. 
and and now it's this price. What's I, the deal? You know, I, I love the story about you know Sam Walton. If anybody's ever read the book about Sam Walton, right? Started mm -hmm. Walmart. Um, you know, he came into the market back in the day as a you know retailer, and his goal was to provide affordable products to you and I, right, um, for consumption. But what he actually did was, and he wanted American companies, by the way, to do that. It wasn't that he had this end goal of pushing everything to China or wherever, but that's exactly what happened. Yeah, right? because, because people want stuff cheaper. We were just talking about this on the way from the airport. Yeah, right? It, right? well, it, you know, Walmart is a is a is a good company to use as a as a, uh, as a bad example of. You know, I mean, call it what you want. I call it crony capitalism. I mean, I'm a capitalist, you know, as I tell everybody, look, I'm I'm a communist with my kids to each according to their need from each according to their ability. Right. With my friends, I'm a socialist. I have I have one cow you have or I have two cows. You have no cows. I'll trade you something for a cow. and We'll both have cows. But when somebody comes through the front door of my business and rings the bell or they call Vapor Honey Technologies, I mean, that's. You're not a customer if you're not spending money, you know? I mean, yep. it is what it is. And so there has to be a balance in that, right? Well, absolutely. You know, and you look at Amazon too. You mm -hmm. know, we landed. Amazon owns half of the airfield. Yeah. You know, at Lakeland. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I have a million things to talk about with Amazon. Sure. And the mentalities that it's, <clears throat> you know, instilled on the general population. Um, you know, we're an OEM manufacturer, so we build everything. Right. Um, start to finish, we bring raw materials in and we send things out that are finished goods. And um, a lot of people struggle because they deal directly with us and they struggle with lead times and any issues that a factory is going to have building a product. And a lot of times you and I are shielded from those, those, those situations, right? Because we work through a distributor or a retailer. Yeah, there's layers. When you're That's in business, right. there's layers. And, you know, we... We stripped all the layers away and we said, hey, you can deal factory direct with us. And it's caused a slew of problems over the years. <laughs> a lot of those problems have, um, you know, basically been made, as I used to say, make mountains out of molehills. Yeah, my daughter says that all the so, time. So, I mean, and some of the customers just get really extremely upset with, you know, extreme delays. And, I mean, we deal with a lot of stuff. I mean, specifically when COVID happened. We were dealing with labor issues. We were dealing with people later on through COVID that were getting sick. Yeah, you know, you the, yep. The entire workforce at some point caught COVID. Yeah. Right. And so it just cycled through the warehouse and through the floor and through the sales office and through all of my personnel complete in, in the fab shop. And and so it caused a, a ton of problems. I mean, you know, because we're not we're not a, a massive enterprise. I mean, we're a decent sized company at this sure. point. But, you know, we still rely heavily on one or two people. You still know department. all of your employees' names. You that's still right. know all of their spouses' names. You probably know their kids. I mean, you know, that's the kind of company that I think most CEOs, most proprietors seek to seek to have. Yep. You know? And so, you know, we've dealt with all of that with the customers. Um, and it's just hard for them to understand because they're so shielded from that. They normally don't see delays and lead times and, and, you know, supply chain problems. And, <clears throat> you know, a lot of customers think we're making excuses, but, you know, I can rest assured and guarantee one thing that we work harder than most other businesses, uh, specifically in the manufacturing space and our, our 
our area of expertise. Right. I mean, that's why we're doing what we're doing today. I mean, I have employees that are there on Saturdays. Some come in on Sundays. You know, we work till 8 o'clock at night. I mean, it's insane. We're at least pulling 12, 14, 16-hour days. Right. Um, you know, but we have a goal. <clears throat> you know, we want to be the biggest, the baddest, and the, you know, sure. biggest, baddest brand worldwide. And, you know, we enjoy putting that time in and making a good product, too, at the same time. Do you have worldwide customers now? I mean, we do. So yep. what continents are, are you shipping to? I'm assuming Europe. This would be a pretty popular thing in Europe. We are. Right, Australia. Yeah, we're insanely busy in Europe now. Mm -hmm. um, I started with a distributor in 2016. Um, he started buying five cabinets at a time. And I'll never forget the phone call. In 2016, I was in my office. It was late one night, which means it was extremely late for him. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. six hours ahead. Ahead, yep. And the phone call came through, and he said, hey, I'm such and such. I'm interested in selling your product. I know what you're thinking. I'm not going to knock you off. Really? And I, I couldn't believe it, you know, because, I mean, going to school and talking about international oh, Well, that was and, a, that was something that I really wanted to talk to you about, was about intellectual property and, yep. and, and those protections. And you brought up Amazon, so we'll, yeah. I, I definitely... I definitely want to get get to that. Yeah, and so I was very skeptical and leery of that, and I was very um, hesitant to do business. But you know, I I have a wild side to me at times when it mm -hmm. comes to business, and I I trust my gut. Well, that's what try. That's what draws you to being a CEO. Yep. Is and so I made that move, you know, and I built five cabinets, and I said I'll never hear from this guy again. And literally a month later, he called me and said, "Hey, I need five more cabinets," and I was like, "No shit." Yeah. This guy's literally, he's really back for business. This is 10 units. I'm rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa, this is a big deal. Um, you know, because everybody has to understand where I came from. You know, I didn't come from money. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not a trust fund kid, you know. And, and right. So, I mean, 10 cabinets to me back in the day was a big deal. Right. Yeah, know? I can imagine. Hang um, on. Jonathan, hang on. Yeah. I want to, I'm seeing this cable strain on this thing. Oh. And I'll, I'll, I'll okay. pull this out. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Sick. I just want to see if I'm getting some. It, it's, it's tolerable, but, and I, I'll cut all this out, but. Okay. That's still there. That's all right. But yeah, let's go ahead and see if you're, <coughs> you're good there. But, um, yeah, you know, back then we were, I had just introduced the poly cabinet, which right. you have one in your mm -hmm. shop too. And I just introduced the, that cabinet, and he started buying those cabinets. I would—I was just going to say I would think that would be perfect to ship yeah. overseas because it's not—it's not the most heavy cabinet yeah. in the world. I mean, you're saving some weight with the poly. Yeah, I knew, you know, and that was one thing that I focused on early on too. Is you know, I started thinking like, hey, how can I scale this with a limited number of resources and people, <laughs> and how can I actually make this successful? You know, not just a little part-time gig for me, I actually have to make money, you know, because my right. wife's sitting over here looking at me like, Hey, are you ever going to make any damn money? Right. I mean, you, you, th this is okay. You're going on three years of doing business and you've not made a dime, you know, and, and I would come in and ask her for money to buy tools or equipment. I mean, we had, we had the same bank account. Sure. But I still ask the question, Hey, like I need to get this air compressor <laughs> or I need to buy this welder. And some of those things I still have today in our warehouse. Like I have the air compressor, the original one. Right. Um, it runs small power tools at time or small air tools. I have the welder, um, which that's a funny story because I walked into the fab shop one day 
and my welder was completely torn apart. And I had a fit because I didn't, I didn't know that it was torn to pieces. Like these guys had used it as a parts machine. So we had a conversation that day. I set all the guys down. I said, look, you guys need to understand something. You know, it's easy right now, but it could get hard in difficult times. And you guys need to take care of stuff. Yeah. You know, like when we, just because we have, you know, cash and cash flow and employees and all this stuff right now, it doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. You have to be a, you have to be afraid. You have to be prudent. Right? Yeah. There yeah. needs to be a little bit of fear. You have to instill yeah. some fear. That is the one thing that I have failed to a uh, number of times is, you know, I go to grab a tool. I'll, I'll tell you what tool it is because it's made us a lot of money, yep. but now it doesn't because we didn't, it's a tool to remove bearings from wheels, right? So it, the threads are, are, gall, are messed up on it. They're galled because people didn't put oil on, you know, you're loading these bearings up and then it's like, hey, I I don't want to keep rebuying the same tools. It's like, it's, it might as well have lost it because yeah. it's it's at this point, it's it's rendered useless. Yeah, it's really crazy too. And I, we had that conversation. I told him, I said, you know, guys, you got to think like I used, I said, think about how much money you have in your bank account right now, personally. I said, I don't need to know the number. I said, but if you were like me back then, you maybe had 3000 bucks total. Like that was it. You know, you had to live off of that and you had to start, you had to run a business that way. Right. And I said, I took $1,600 and bought this welder. And the reason I spent 1600 bucks was because I knew it was going to last me for years. Right. It was going to pay me back. And it was an investment for me. I said, you know, when I come in here and I see my welder in pieces, that's pretty frustrating. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me an entirely yeah. different story. I thought you were going to tell me <laughs> this feel-good story, how you went back there and your welder was in pieces, and you found out that your guys all got together and they were restoring it for you so yeah. you could put it in. Oh, yeah. yeah but, no. I mean, I made them restore it. I told them, I said, you guys are going to call the welding supply house. Yep, we're going to get And you're going to buy all of the parts to fix this welder. I said, you're never going to touch my welder again. And you're not going to touch any of these other welders this way. So you're going to call the guy. He can come out and help us fix them. Right. And so, you know, we've, and we've established those partnerships with certain suppliers. There's an economic lesson in that though, too. Okay. I get like, I'm a, I'm a DIY guy at home yeah. on things. You know, I, there's some chores that I really, really enjoy. There's some chores that I don't enjoy doing at home. There's some chores that I think, you know, I'm not a plumber. Right. So, some of the plumbing that can be done at the house, I'll do. I'll replace the I'll replace the 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 uh, sprinkler heads that get damaged over the winter, right? But if everybody did DIY, there wouldn't be plumbers when we need plumbers. There wouldn't be electricians when we need yep. electricians. There wouldn't be roofers when we need roofers. Like you have to think a little bit further than the end of your dinner table, right? On these things, and I think there's a good point in that. And you know, you don't make any money off a welder that's not working. Right. Yeah, we've had to be very frugal. You know, I've told people if I had access to millions of dollars, like some of these companies are wasting. Mm -hmm. And I actually read a thing about Elon talking about this the other day. He said, there's one good thing that's going to come out of this next recession. Yeah. He said, people are going to go under that need to go under, you know, and, and people are, are, are going to realize that they have to go back to work. So right. what I have to ask you, what year you started Vapor Honey Technologies in 12? 2012. Yep. And prior to that, you were in university and, and working, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I went to school for four and a half years um, at the university in Asheville. When did you get out of university? 2010, 2011. That okay. December year. So I, I was in business 
when the last crash happened. Yep. And I have to tell you that there were people in my business. I'm like, well, this, this needs to happen. This is, there needs to be some attrition of people that are not doing the things you're talking about. They're not frugal. Yep. They're not in it all the way. That's a big thing with me. That's a big thing with me. Like everybody started in their garage. You started in your garage, Yep. but there had to be a certain point where you're like, okay, to, in order to legitimize this, to legitimize my day, I have to go to work, right? Yep. And so there's some importance in that. And there's some some levity in that. And it, 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 it makes you... Well, you know, it's how I was raised. You know, I was raised to work. I was raised to work without pay. Because my dad <laughs> always told me, and mom, you know, I got paid when I ate food at night. Yeah. And when I had clothes to wear to school. Yeah. You know, so I didn't get... You know, I hear parents telling kids, oh, I'll give you five bucks to take the trash out. And hell no. No, no, no. You take the trash out because you're eating in my house. You know, that's the rule. I'll never forget. I have a really good example of this where I was really taught a valuable lesson <clears throat> from my dad. My brother and I, we had one uh, gaming system in the house. Right. My entire life growing up. <clears throat> and a lot of kids nowadays can't even fathom that, right? They right. have five, ten. They've got a handheld. They've got their phone. Yeah. They're always getting stimulated by something, right? Yeah. So there's no more trees and grass and fighting and shit like that. Yep. But, um, you know, we we had gotten a Nintendo 64 for Christmas one year. And we started playing the system. We eventually wore it out. But years later, we were teenagers, old enough to know better at this point, too young to care, I guess. But right. we stayed up late one night, and we were playing this game. I forget what it was. We probably stayed up till two o'clock in the morning. Well, the sun's coming up at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, and we didn't know what was planned the next day. But my dad had planned to bale hay, square bale hay, and I always despised baling hay because sure. it was always. And we were on a small scaled farm, so we <clears throat> baled you know a thousand, two thousand bales of hay a year, or in the summertime. But that was a lot for three or four people to throw in a trailer, right? Sure. And then throw in the barn. We didn't have fancy equipment. We had just brute strength and just, in my mind back then, I was like, this is stupid. But anyways, the point I'm trying to make here is <clears throat> it came time to get up that morning. And my brother and I, we were not awake. We were dead. My dad comes in, flips the lights on, opens the shades up. He said, time to get up. And we're like, we just went to bed. He said, I don't care. That's not my problem. Yeah, that's a you problem. He not said, a me that's problem. a you problem. You're making your problem my problem. Yep. He said, you know, my problem now is to get your butt out of bed and let's go do, we're going to make hay today. He said, we don't have time to waste. Yeah. And that was a valuable lesson, you know, because if he would have been a pushover, which some parents are. Yeah. And he would have let us push back and say, we're not doing it. I wouldn't have learned that lesson. And Baver Honey Technologies probably wouldn't be here. It wouldn't be here. Because you had to be prepared for tough times. Well, you have to be tough as nails. To have like, a business? Yeah, to yeah. have a business, period. I mean, you, you have to be, I mean, you have to be crazy. You have to be relentless. I mean, you. there's a little craziness somewhere. Oh, yeah. All of our minds to do this, but. So let me ask you a question about that then, because this is, we're organically headed there. I feel like, some people are wired for mm. acute stress and I feel like some people are wired for chronic stress. Yep. I feel like as an entrepreneur and as a CEO that I'm wired for chronic stress and 
I am always, there's always, if I choose to be, I could pick something every day, two or three things some days. And that's what I could be stressed about that day. Yeah. There's always something. If that's, if I wanted to be, if I wanted to let it ruin my day, yeah, I, I there's, there's people coming at me all day wanting to, they don't want to ruin my day, but they definitely want to let me know what's going on in theirs. Right. That's ruining theirs. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, it goes back to like picking your battles and figuring out what you're going to handle first and second and third and, you know, understanding that nobody's there for you, you know? No. Yeah. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, you know, we get dropped out in the middle of the ocean every day and we have to swim back to shore as business owners. Yeah. And if we don't make it, guess what? You're, you're, to you're toast. That's a good analogy. I, I always like the one too, that entrepreneurs are the ones that jump out of an airplane and, and sew their own parachute on the way down. Yep. Yep. You know, um, I, we live by, we live and die by three rules here that I, I just absolutely tattoo them into the psyche of not my employees, but my daughter certainly who wants to take over the operations of this company. Mm -hmm. Number one rule is feed the wolf at the door. Number two rule is take care of your employees. The third rule is live to work another day. That's, that's really all you have to do. That's it. You know, and you have to be cognizant of all these things. And at 23, she's taking on immense amount of responsibility that she's asked for a hundred percent of it. Yep. And I'm relentless on her. I'm like your dad. I don't care that you had a bad weekend as your dad. I care, but I'm not dad here at work. That's and right. I try to Im implement that. You know, people always say, don't work with family. You what? That doesn't make any sense. We, none yeah. of us would be here if Henry Ford hadn't worked with family. None of us would be here if <laughs> the Carnegie family didn't work with the Carnegie family right. and the Rockefellers work with the Rockefellers. I mean, you know, multi-generational success in a family is the only way you're going to see upward mobility in a family, That's in right. my opinion. So you have to work with family. Yeah, It's like people who say don't talk politics or religion. No, if we all talked politics and religion and listened to understand, not listen to respond, yeah. then it wouldn't be taboo to talk about politics <clears throat> or religion because we would have a, we'd have a conversation and we'd understand what discourse is and, we, and we'd be able to na navigate those waters. <clears throat> I agree. I mean, it, I think it goes back to, you know, we could talk about a lot of the problems in the country today. Right? Sure. I mean, we should talk about that because, you know, by and large in the motorcycle industry, you know, especially on this side of it, we're very pro-American and we're forced to you uh, buy product that's not, that's not going to be American. And some of it, you know, there are some good global marketing partners. Yep. There are some good global manufacturing partners. And there's people who buy, you were just talking about, you know, the fact that you were, you were surprised that you do as well as you do in Europe and you're happy that you do as well as you do in Europe. Do you still work with that same distributor? Absolutely. Yeah. So he, this year, uh, will add 35% of revenue growth to our company just along. So, I mean, it's insane. Is there a certain point? Let me ask you this because we're talking about global manufacturing. Is there a certain point where you go, okay, we need a, we need a, manufacturing facility in Europe that can that can handle what we do here over there because it makes sense like I'm not saying you specifically something like yeah once we hit 100 cab or whatever I'm what I'm saying is is like as a business owner with a global market mm -hmm. is that a conversation that this had uh, to where is there a point where that makes sense or is it like no it doesn't make sense believe it or not in 2014 I was already searching for that 
already because I knew that there's going to be a day where I need to be there. Isn't right? that fun? It's it's amazing. Like that's why I went to Thailand in 2014. Okay. Because um, I was already pre-planning, and I had not even talked to this distributor. But you know, my goal again is to build the world's largest wet blasting company or surface finishing company. Mm-hmm. And and so. <clears throat> I was already pre-planning, and, and again, we didn't have the sales that we do today. We didn't have the staff, um, but I, my again, my goal was to do this big, and because if I want to do something, I want to do it as big as possible. And so I'm already planning on, hey, how can I set this factory up in Thailand, or you know, can I do it in Europe? Um, how am I going to pull this off? Who am I going to use? You know, can I find somebody on the ground? You know, because this is a global economy. I mean, we get shit all the time from people, and it, it just cracks me up. But people are like, oh, you know, made in America with Chinese parts. Everything we touch and buy is at some point coming from somewhere else other than the U.S., right? I mean, it's yeah. It's all U.S. Exactly. That vest you have right there that says made in the U.S.A., I mean, or that's sitting right next to you, yeah. that's made by a, 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 some people that I, I actually am friends with in uh, San Francisco, but anybody who knows anything about leather, you don't use American made cows or American grown cows because we have barbed wire here. Use Italian where they don't have barbed wire. So the, the, the cows don't lean up against it and scratch, scratch the leather. Right. I mean, all your furniture is that way too. You know, I mean, there's, there's, it's, I'm just saying that it's nuanced. That was, maybe that's not a great example, but it's just a nuanced thing. And we do live in a global economy. Yeah. I mean, I think we do, you know, it's, <clears throat> you have to because my my statement is like you can't afford something that's completely a hundred percent built here in the U.S. We would not pay for it. You know, I just it's just the way it is. I mean, no matter what it is, something has come from somewhere else in the world that is put onto that finished product. Yeah, and I mean, everybody. I love American made products. I love American made companies. Um, I support it. Every time I get a chance, right? You know, I don't always look at the price. You know, the price is not always the determining factor for me. No, um, I, I do a lot of research on things that I'm going to make. Yeah. You know, when I buy something, there's an investment piece to that, right? You know, what I mean, you, you, so there's a mindset. So I look at and see see yeah. what it is. Well, and you know, we've bought um, welders from Italy. Mm-hmm. But we've also bought American welders, right? Miller, Lincoln. Right. Those which, are American-made companies. With Chinese circuit boards. <laughs> with them. Chinese circuit boards, right? Yeah. And what's funny is we paid more for an Italian product than we did an American product. So sometimes, right, right, you can buy things that are made in America cheaper. But at the same time, though, this welder that we bought from Italy didn't do what the American products would do. So that's why we bought it. We didn't have a choice. Okay, so you know, it, we, it would actually do something that the Americans wouldn't do. That's right. right? It was yeah. a more intelligent welder. It welded different materials, different ways. It was more ergonomical. There was a million different reasons we bought it. Um, it wasn't cheap, and we would have bought it from a U.S. company if they would have had the product. Well, okay, so <laughs> people don't complain about – if you pull up in an Italian sports car or a German sports car, no one's like oh. – you didn't buy Corvette, right? Right, but for some reason, if you if you buy it from Asia, you know it's garbage. And I, I know the argument. I mean, it's it it goes, it goes straight political. It does, and there's there's no way to have the conversation in an intelligent manner without saying, well, you know that that is part of it, right? 
But at the same time, there has to be a, there's an ebb and flow to things, you know? I mean, the best Chinese food doesn't come from China. It comes from an American, you yeah. know, carry out place. Yeah. Cause I've had real Chinese food and I'm like, nope, <laughs> not eating that again. I'm not eating tongue. And, and I mean, where you can like, you get one step shy of picking out the food before they kill it so you can eat it, right. you know? But I mean, uh, there, there has to be, there has to be a, a balance on that. And you know, it's, you know, you went to Thailand obviously cause you wanted to sell that product over in Asia and that's already there, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the main thing, you know, my main goal, whether I don't care where it's built at at the end of the day for me, I do care, but, you know, specifically European products, I don't care if they're built over there or over here. Right. Logistically, <clears throat> whatever works out. But, um, you know, our main thing is to obviously make money as a company so we can continue to grow. Yep. But also to support the customer yep. and build a great product and and support the product, you know, which we come out with a lot of different programs that nobody else in the world really offers. And it's really sad. Um, you as a business owner can sympathize, you know, let's use an, a desk as an example, right? If you can't afford a, a big desk, right. And you can afford the small one. Why not let somebody trade it up one day, right? Give them a hundred percent credit, let them buy the small desk, start their business, grow it, make some money and then buy the bigger desk. <clears throat> that's what we do with the equipment. So we, somebody can literally start at our bottom end product and they can work their way all the way to the top over the lifetime of them, you know, doing this as a service. And I can, but I can tell you to, to that point though, I can tell you that now that I have some experience with the product, I like having two cabinets cause I have kind of, I have a finished product. My, my poly cabinet is finish only. Right. Yep. And so I'm cleaning the part before it goes into the main tank where I run my aluminum oxide and baking soda, a hybrid mix, you know, mm -hmm. a, a, basically a, like a 75, 25 split on that. So I have a decent aggregate in there, but it, I get an, a nice finish on it too. And then it goes into that second cabinet and it comes out brilliant. Yep. And I do that pre-polish too. So like if I'm going to polish part, it goes in there to polish it. Yeah. I, I love it because, you know, some customers really dig the idea that we allow them to buy something and trade up, but then that customer winds up keeping the machine. Yeah. They're like, I just want to get the bigger cabinet and I'm going to keep this one. Yeah. We see it all day, every day. Um, but it's such a good time and a good experience. And it makes me feel really good, you know, as an owner to be able to give a guy full credit back and then take that product and redo it and resell it. Yeah. Right. Because somebody wants a used cabinet and somebody wants something bigger. Yep. So it's just a win-win for the entire group. It is, and it's a it's a brilliant business model because you are building good customer will on the front side, you're maintaining good customer will on the back side, yep. and you're also maintaining value in your product. You are guaranteeing the future value of your product. The residual value of your product never goes away if you're willing to give full credit for it. That's so right. it's it's really kind of a a, a very smart plan. Um, there's there's some competition out there in the marketplace now. Yeah, it's funny, you know, what's what's wild is a lot of people don't realize that the competition that exists now copied my product. I've had a lot of the people that, that you'll see online mm -hmm. in my warehouse at some point. This was back when we were small. Sure. We didn't have a certain procedures in place, you know, and these assholes snuck in and stole shit. And, and you know, I still want to meet those people in the street one day. Oh, yeah. Right? Because that's never who I was about. And I understand there are companies that play that way, 
there are people that play that way. It's easy. Play. It's easy to, to steal a beat from yep. somebody and put another wrap over top of it. But what we're realizing is that these companies have no way to scale. They have no diversification in their product. They don't have good customer service. That, that's how we that's how we ended up with they're with not your backing company. it, period. You know, it's it's a one and done transaction for them and they're moving on to the next guy. And, you know, I, I, I will take full credit to we as a company, we get extremely busy. Mm -hmm. And if we have forgotten to call somebody back or email somebody back, that is completely on us. But we do not intend to do that. Sure. You know, we always have the phones <clears throat> available. We do it nights and weekends. And, again, some people just get dissatisfied and unhappy because I think they're unhappy people. I think Steve Jobs said if you want to please everybody, just make ice cream. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know? And that's – that's what I have to remind the whole staff at times, you know, is, and I, sometimes I feel bad for saying it. It's almost like I've accepted something that I'm really not proud of, mm -hmm. but it's true. I mean, you can't make everybody happy. No, you can't. And, you know, we can't try to, we, we can try it, but it's just not going to work. Um, but yeah, we, we have, uh, we have a lot of stuff we're working on again, international, is, is turning out to be huge for us, but we're really focusing on, you know, scaling the domestic market, scaling our product, you know, so that we can still provide an incredible product at an incredible right. price. And we, you know, we've had to change materials during COVID. We've had to figure out how to make things at the same price. We, we, we are going to drop our prices back. Like we're seeing a relief in metal prices now. Right. Um, and so we're going to start trying to scale some of that back again because some people think that we've been just ramming people, um, you know. But we've gotten hit hard with materials. When you when you were when you were coming up with the, um, I believe the story was you were you were doing some stuff. You were doing restoring a, a motorcycle, if, if I remember correctly. And you you how did you stumble on? this lost art? Was it something, did you read in a book? Did you have an old popular mechanics or did were you like, I need something that will do this? And somebody said, no, well, that's called this. Well, I was working as a project manager at a furniture company in Lenore, okay. which is 30 minutes from my house. And you know, everybody that knows Hickory, we were the furniture capital of the world. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's where a lot of furniture's so there's still a lot of furniture made there. There's a lot imported there, fixed there, and then shipped again. But the point is I was working around a bunch of engineers, and I worked closely with them being a PM. I had to work with the plant and the engineers and the customer. I kind of like pulled them all together. Well, I was always a creative type. I wanted to build things. I wanted to fix things. And motorcycles being my passion, um, I was rebuilding a vintage motorcycle, and I – had worked at the community college in the summer times. And so they had given me access to their sandblasting cabinet right. in the maintenance shop. And they told me, they said, yeah, if you show up before work, you know, before eight o'clock, you can blast all you want. <clears throat> so I started showing up at five thirty, five, six AM. They gave me the key to the door. I was sandblasting parts, did it for a couple of days. And I said, there's no way that this is the only solution for cleaning parts. And again, I knew nothing back then. Right. I just come out of college a year before that. Um, I was never big into tools and equipment because we didn't we didn't have the space for it, you know, at home when I was growing up. And um, we we tried to work on things with simple hand tools back sure. in the day. We didn't have air compressors and stuff like that that were big. But anyways, 
I said, there has to be something different. Like this cannot be the only way these parts came out looking horrible. <laughs> they were, they were matte. They were gray. They were staining easily. My sweaty fingers in my garage yeah. made the parts look terrible. And so that's when the research started. I started, I just went online and started researching like parts, cleaning techniques, blasting, and lo and behold, a YouTube video popped up and it was a, um, I think it was a Chinese built cabinet back in the day and, but it was in Australia. <clears throat> Actually, it wasn't Chinese. Sorry. It was an Australian built product. Okay. And I saw this liquid with something mixed in it and this guy was just cleaning these parts immediately. I think it was brake calipers and a piston and some side covers or something. And it wasn't a well-known video. I think the video had 80, 90 views. It was stupid. Like it, I was like, why is this thing not, why are people not seeing this? Right. Well, <clears throat> so I kept coming back. I bookmarked it. I kept coming back to it and I kept studying the video. And I was like, first off, how do you pump this? Second off, what is this? Like, what is this? Yeah, what actually then, is the, the, the product what's itself? What's the medium? What, what, is, what is all this? <clears throat> There's all these unknowns. And the more I dug into it, the more I found out, hey, this is actually a process. It's industrial. So I called, I called overseas to Europe, and I said, I need a product, or I need a price on your product, because that was the only thing I could find. I couldn't find anybody else. Again, back then, people don't believe this. Back then, there were 80 and 90 searches a month for wet blast, wet blasting, vapor blasting. There was no vapor honing. There was There's 80 and 90 searches for any of these keywords at any given time. There was nothing. <laughs> there was no information. You couldn't find shit. Nobody had come and stolen stuff from my shop. Nobody had, <laughs> right. yeah, hey, this is what kind of pump this guy uses, and this is what kind of window he uses, and why, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so that stuff actually happened. Oh, it's all happened. Everybody has stolen bits and pieces of this business over the years. But what's funny is they can't do anything with it because they're really ignorant people. So they, they steal something and they're too dumb to go and figure out the rest. Right. Or they're too lazy. Or, or, or too lazy, yeah. yeah. And, you know, some of these guys, like there's one guy that stole my stuff, and I know he's, 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 uh, he's fairly unintelligent in the way he was marketing it. And he's just a thief. And if you go look at his website, he's stealing everything. Like everything he has, if it's a how-to video on how to do this, he's stealing it from somebody else. You know, everything he has done is, is stolen content. And I forget where I was going with this. No, you, you said that you, were, you, you got a price. You wanted a price on a product. Yeah, so I got a price, and it was $23,000, Good. And I, I had Lord. no money back then, right? I was just out of school. We just My wife and I got married. <clears throat> we had zero money. So I was so deflated. I, I think I was sitting on the couch one night and I told my wife, I said, there's no way I can't afford this. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a second. Can I? I was like, let's just buy one. So I wanted to buy one. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get a loan for this. We had just tried to go get a loan to buy a truck uh, a couple weeks before and state employees credit union wouldn't give me 5,000 bucks. Right. And I was like, Oh, I, I guess I can't do this. I said, you know what? I'll figure this out. I'll I will figure this out myself. I will DIY this bitch. Right? That's what I said. <laughs> and again, this was before anybody knew anything about this. 
you know, nowadays you can go watch a YouTube video and feel like you're a pro. Oh yeah. I mean, you I still mean, won't instant, have it. But. Yeah. You, instantly you, you get, you, it's a confidence boost, but yeah. And it, it, it was, uh, and that was it. So we started, I started watching all these videos and I started studying this video and I started doing my own research and I, I started laying out all of these parts and my engineering friends, they had no damn clue. They thought I was the craziest person in the world. <laughs> my lunch break, I would go to Lowe's right, or Home Depot. And I would just sit in like the plumbing department and the electrical and I would just study like what I could use to build this cabinet. And what's funny is again, I had no skills. <laughs> I didn't know how to weld. I didn't. I couldn't read a tape measure. <laughs> I mean, because I never had to, right? Right. Um, I mean, I knew what simple hand tools were, sure. so I had mechanical knowledge, but I, I didn't know a lot of things like welding and fabrication, and I didn't have access to the equipment. So back then, I was like, okay, I have access to a skill saw. I have access to a drill, some screws. <laughs> I'm afraid of where you're going with this. And you, you could see this, right? Yeah. I built a wooden cabinet. I was just going to say. And this was in 2012, 11, maybe actually. It was insane. I, I, did, what I, did you do to the inside of it? So, that it didn't... so I used a roof coating. I was just going to say, did yep. you use like that, that flex seal hey, that dude Miami has? It's Miami data approved. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I said, shit, if it's Miami data approved, <clears throat> I, I can use this in a wet cabinet. And so I became very resourceful. And do you still have that wet cabinet somewhere? I don't, but I'm going to rebuild it. Cause I know exactly how I built it. And the reason I know is because I struggled like hell to do it. And I called my buddy over and he was helping me. And, you know, my wife just thought I was crazy. I'm some lunatic that is out She's probably on the, the phone with her mother going, mom, yeah. he's, I don't I regret. Can my I decision. come home? <laughs> <laughs> I regret my choice in marrying this idiot. <laughs> and he's telling me he's going to make money at this. And, um, you know, we had never bought anything. We, we hadn't bought a car. Like that was one thing my parents and her parents did for us. They said that we're giving you one car when you start driving in high school. Yeah, that's it. That's, and that's when you it. get. And so that's what we'd still had the same car through college and high school. And we had taken care of them. But anyways, I started building this cabinet. Um, took me a couple weeks and I Jerry rigged this thing up and, I was so pumped. I, I said, I've got this. I'm going to nail this. Went to fire it up. Nothing happened. And so then I had to troubleshoot the electrical, figured out how to make the electrical work, fired it up. The pump comes on. Then the air doesn't work. Then the air doesn't work. In the It was just a nightmare of problems, <clears> right? <throat> and I had no idea I was chasing my tail. So I, I literally didn't know if I was on to anything or not. I had nobody to talk to. I had nobody to snoop on. I had nobody to spy on. I had right. nothing to read. And I didn't know what abrasive to use. I didn't know what pressures, what distances, what nozzle tips. I didn't know where to bite. Nothing, none of this stuff was available anywhere. And so in testing, I just started doing testing. Different abrasives. I actually, funny thing is what the I called this machine that I built the Leaky Whore. <laughs> and the reason I called it that is actually somebody came in one day and said, man, that thing is leaky whore. I didn't come <laughs> up with it, but the, the cabinet was just leaking water everywhere. And the most excruciating part of my journey so far probably was in the wintertime when we were doing this as a service with this leaky cabinet. 
Oh, so you actually produce? You were actually. We didn't build okay. this. We built this one just to work out of and to start generating some revenue. Right. And I had just hired a guy who was 18 years old at the time to come and help me blast parts. And I said, because I can't stand here and blast parts all day if I'm going to start marketing the company and selling a product, which I didn't have. So you weren't going into the – so just to stop you right there, you were going into the service industry, not the product industry. Absolutely. At that point, I was going to do services only. And I, and again, the reason that I, I diverted was because so many people kept showing up and they were like, I want to be able to do this myself too. I had guys driving from all over the country, sending parts all over the country. At the time it was one guy in Oregon and myself on the East coast. Those are the only two wet blasting cabinets available to <clears throat> the customer. And where did he get his cabinet? He had purchased his from a company up north I later on found out about. Um, I don't think they're in business anymore today. They were big-time industrial back in the day. Um, they did a lot of development, a lot of big industrial equipment. But they did not change with the times right? and and morph into a company. And, and so they, they, they have probably went out at this point. Last I know, they were not doing good at all. And... Um, yeah, we started doing the services and things were going great. I had a I had a garage full of bar parts everywhere. I started talking to engine builders all over the country, motorcycles, cars. Guys were just driving in on the weekends. They would hang out at at, you know, a restaurant in Hickory and wait on me to blast their parts. 8 hours later they would come back and I would have them their stuff done. And it was just this non-stop hustle. He would blast, then I would go out there and blast at night or in the mornings. And so we were pretty much running this machine 18, 20 hours a day. The leaky whore? The leaky whore. <laughs> that <laughs> thing doesn't was, owe you any money. It was horrible. Um, a very non-sophisticated machine. And, you know, nowadays looking back, I mean, I, I could build that thing in you know 30 minutes to an hour. But I had no idea what the heck I was doing. So, you know, that there's examples there. I could have stopped early on and just said, you know, I don't have any money. I don't have any connections. I don't have any knowledge. I'm just going to stop, you know, and I can't afford this, but we wouldn't be talking today. And the majority of the country that has one of these machines would not have this available as a product right. or a service. And, and that's really mind blowing to me. Cause you know, growing up, I always thought, <clears throat> You know, hey, I want to pioneer something, and I want to trademark something like vapor honing. Right. You know, because some of the examples you were talking about this earlier, some of the examples I grew up with, right, we think of skid steer or bobcat or yeah. Learjet. Ditch Witch. Yeah, those are just for that brand. Yeah, right? Ditch Witch is a good example of that. They're where great. You know, and so is a bobcat. Yep. You know? And... uh yeah, but we, we, we started doing the services, and guys kept asking, so I started building a machine out of metal. I soon found out that I was never going to be able to do this fast enough by myself, and I didn't have the space or the equipment. Well, anyways, I didn't let that stop me. I finally built this machine. I was learning how to weld using a Harbor Freight welder back in the day. Right. Little 110. Like a buzz box kind of thing. 110 buzz box, yeah. And the thing, I don't know how in the hell I got it from to stop leaking, 
probably JB Weld underneath the paint at some point. Right. Um, but I built the first blue metal cabinet. And that was my demo machine for a long time. That was my main workhorse demo product. I used that machine in some of the early videos. If you could go back to the beginning of time with the channel, some of the first 10, 15 videos were probably definitely shot in that cabinet. And I had companies coming in to demo this product that at the time I was super proud of. But looking back, I was like, man, this thing's a boat anchor. Like, I wouldn't sell this to my enemy. And, um, you know. <clears throat> How different is the mechanical process of vapor honing from the, the blue workhorse to a cabinet today? Like the, 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 the mechanical process of it. Yeah, I mean, mechanically, it's somewhat similar. Um, just better components overall that, that does the same thing. Okay. Um, you know, vetting your suppliers, making sure that you can, you know, receive those supplies on a consistent, you know, ongoing yeah. year year after year basis to, to meet those to meet those goals, those those pieces. And like you said, you know, logistically, you got to have you have a, you have a full blown manufacturing facility. Yep. So, do you have teams that move around, or does one team take a machine from cradle to grave? So, we have an assembly line, mm-hmm. and so. One person touches one part of that machine. Um, sometimes they will skip a station and go to the next. Right. Depending on, you know, how many people want to show up to work that day. Oh, geez. You know, which is another problem. But, yeah, we, we used to build these things start to finish with one person. Okay. And I realized that we were not able to scale and meet the demands of the volume that was coming. And, you know, I had three or four guys and they could only build maybe two cabinets a day per person. Wasn't enough. That wasn't enough equipment. And, you know, now we have the capacity to truly build 75 to a hundred units a month. And we sell anywhere from 50 to a hundred a month. Wow. That's what we sell. That's good. And it, you know, and that started from a garage that started from this crazy 23 year old kid who was just obsessed and, and I wasn't okay with average and I wasn't going to quit because there's, there's nobody in the world going to get in my way. How, how much, um, how much of a role do you feel in being an entrepreneur? How much of a role does the inability to, to know when to stop play in, in that? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there had to be points of, of time in the arc of your company where it wasn't good, where it was scary. I mean, we talked earlier, it's always scary, right? You got to, right. to me, I find like, as soon as I get things where they're stable, I got to destabilize it. Otherwise I'll, I'll grow stagnant. Like I either take on a new product, a new process, a new procedure, a new employee, a new idea to knock the, you know, and, and I think my wife's at home going like, what? everything was fine. Like, why are you, why are you doing this all of a sudden? You know? And it's like, I have to keep moving the needle because I'm so fearful of being stagnant. So, you know, do those things, those things, those things had to happen to you, right? Yeah. I mean, I've had a couple moments throughout, you know, the last 10 years where I thought I was actually losing the company, um, losing just control 
of whether it be employees or you know just the finances in general. Um, how much of a how much of a of a of a of a lens do you take take the you know there's different business parts of the business right there's new money sales right there's marketing that's just advertising and you know all everything can be wrapped up in that and then there's the back end of business that's your fiduciary responsibility like how much how do you balance your time with that or do you you know is that monthly weekly do you you know do you have meeting how often are you have meetings that kind of stuff it's so tricky. I mean, you know, we, we still struggle with the lack of personnel in certain departments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll fill the slot and then they'll leave or they, again, they won't show up to work and the disciplinary action has to happen and they get sent off right? Um, to never come back. But, you know, so I still, I'm still wearing a couple different hats, not as many as I used to, thank God, or I'd be dead now. Um, but um, I try to just keep a, a fresh balance of everything. Um everything that I can. That's why I work anywhere from 16 to 20 hours a day. I mean, you have to, um, you know, and that's one thing I had to develop. And I, I realized this, I was telling the story on the plane coming down, you know, I developed in probably 2016 and 17, I developed a whatever it takes mindset and attitude. And that meant I would do anything, whatever it took. Oh, I have to clean the toilets today. Nobody mm-hmm. cares. Yeah. I have to do it. Yep. Um, and you don't have to tell everybody that you're cleaning the toilets either. That's right. You know, or I have to sell today, or I have to weld today, or I have to stay till midnight today, or I have to pull an all-nighter. You know, it, it's just a whatever-it-takes mentality. And and I really, I'm just taking stuff as it comes. You know, so if I see that the sales department's down a little bit, I'll go and take care of them. It's just being aware of what's going on in your business, showing up every day, showing up before they get there, watching them drag ass into work, and then being there after they get there. They're, they're gone, right? How did you deal with, and, and this, I, I know this happened because it happens to all of us that have businesses. <clears throat> How do you deal with the resentment issues that, that employees have uh, towards you personally at work? Like how, like, I mean, it, it, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of different situations. I don't know what happens when somebody goes home. I don't know if their home life's good. I don't know if it's bad. I don't know, you know, I don't know what kind of money problems they're having or health problems or whatever, but how do you, how do you insulate yourself from that, but still being who you are? I mean, they say money doesn't change people. It reveals people. You seem pretty level-headed. I mean, I've been around you enough now that you're, you, you seem like somebody that was, a 23-year-old kid that was trying to do something in their garage, it doesn't seem to have left you at all. Right. So, I mean, this is the nicest stuff I ever wear. Right. Right. I mean, it, it's – I'm not a suit and, you know, tie kind of guy. <coughs> right. um, I thought I was going to be. I thought that's who I had to be. So – but to deal with, you know, the employees, and that's something I've struggled with over the years because I don't want them to think that, um, you know, I'm just sitting at the top of the food chain you know, hoarding money or gobbling money. So that's why I'm always in the trenches. Right. And I always will be, you know, no matter how big we become, like I want to be there elbow to elbow. I want to feel the pains that they feel so that I can fix it, you know? And that that's the important thing for me. Like I have to be there and feel it. Um, I don't want to just bark orders at people. Right. So I want to lead by example. How do you feel about the word boss? I really don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it either. I mean, it's, you know, 
it feels really dirt. Dirty is the only way. Very uncomfortable when someone introduces me as their boss. Well, here's the deal, and I've made this very clear to employees over the years. There's one thing that I realize is that I don't own people. People have the leisure to show up and work if they choose to do so, right? So there's a mutual understanding in my office and in my facility that everybody chose to show up that day and work. Right. And I don't own you. So if you have something personal that you have to do, then go do it. I'm not going to hold you here. You know, I'm not going to turn stupid corporate all of a sudden on you. Yeah. Um, you know, there are times where people abuse the system because some people will come at you with that argument. Okay, well, how do you let people have enough slack and not abuse the system? Well, you just have to monitor. It's on a case-by-case basis. Right. But, you know, I sit there and do the same things that I preach so that they see that. Hey, guys, need you be, I need you to be here on Saturday. We're working. This is not playtime. I need to be there working yeah. as well. I, I cannot expect them to do something that I'm not going to do. Well, um, my dad always told me the rule was don't let your employees do something they haven't seen you do. That's right. How do you feel about the 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 phrase, uh, the art of diplomacy is letting somebody have your way? Letting some – say that again. So the art of diplomacy is letting somebody have your way. So there's this, there's this belief, and, and I subscribe to this a bit, you know, that – You've done every job at Vapor Honing Technologies, right? right? You create, that's one of the things I tell people that work here with me. I'm like, look, you have to understand something. Like not only have I done every job, but I've created every position because it's the it's the stuff that I neither care to do any longer that still needs to be done, or I don't have the time to do that and the things that I'm working on now to yep. help grow the business, right? I have a very different set of responsibilities just like you do. Yep. Like you don't, I'm assuming don't sit down at QuickBooks and reconcile the bank account, but you, that still needs to be done. So yep. you have somebody that you trust to do that and you're trusting that they do that, right? Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> you, you have to choose your battles. You know, I look at it as, and this is how I really plan my day. A lot of times I look at it and I say, okay, what needs do we have today? And what are the priority of those needs? And what, what was at the door? Yeah. I mean, what, you know, what, what product needs to go out, you know, what needs to be sold today, what needs to be, you know, personnel-wise taken care of. But I address those things um, based on, you know, let's say a monetary value too. Mm -hmm. So, and then that's when I hire, hire people, right? So if, if I say, hey, there's a $15 an hour job here or a $25 an hour job, I can fill that position and I can go do a $200 an hour job. Thank you. You know, and, yeah. and it's not that I'm better, it's just, I'm the owner, so that's what I have to do to grow and scale. Right. And and so, and again, I don't think I'm better than anybody else in the world, period. I wasn't raised that way. No. And I'll never think that about my employees. And I always think that I never, I don't own them, right? So they have their freedom. And that's where it really hurts a lot of times when people mistreat and abuse the system, right? Because I have, you know, a kind heart for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I provide a lot of leniency and I try to lead by example. And so when I get shit on, I take it personal and it's I hard. have to step back. It's you can compartmentalize it all you want, but it, it, it hurts because you put yourself out there. You make yourself right. vulnerable. Right. I'll never forget. I, 
you guys may have seen the pictures and the videos, but I've had some crazy exotic cars over the last couple of years just for fun toys, mm-hmm. right? I don't have any of them now. My, my rule was I was going to buy one, keep it for a couple months, and then sell it. Right. And I'd met up with some dealership friends of mine that were helping me do this without losing my ass. Sure. They weren't giving me cars. I paid for them. But they helped me figure out what was a good deal and what wasn't. Yeah, there those things depreciate too sometimes. Yeah. You know? And I'll never forget <clears throat> the story here is I'll never forget when I bought the first car, I was so pumped and I wanted to show my dad and my mom. Yeah. They they're 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 always the people that I wanted to talk to first, right? Um, because I wanted them to be proud and excited. And my dad, and he didn't mean anything by it, and I know he didn't, but he looked at me and he said, what are your employees going to say about this? Yeah. And, you know, I said, well, first off, like, this is private for me. Like, this is my personal car. Right. I didn't buy this with the company money. Right. You know, this is me being, you know, financially savvy enough to get here to be able to even do this. And, you know, and I said, I've busted my butt for 10 years to be able to do this now. And I've sacrificed everything, period, everything. Like we talked about earlier yeah. coming here, right? Our retirements are in our shops. Yeah, they're, they're, you're sitting in my retirement That's account. That's it. And I told my dad, I said, you know, like this is just me enjoying five minutes of time when I go from my office to my house. Like this is not forever. This is just me enjoying five minutes of time, you know, to go from point A to point B. And, you know, I've had a couple different ones. Um, and during COVID, they helped me and my wife get out and about and just go cruise the Blue Ridge Parkway, if you've ever been on it. Yeah. It's a beautiful have, road. Yeah. You know, and it helped us clear our heads. We worked all the time during COVID. We never stopped, um, you know, because every business is essential. Yeah. Right. I hated that fucking term. I do too. Essential business. Like who is not essential? Like yeah, you and I have to have money to live. Yeah, everything is essential. But, you know, I use those tools and that that really struck me back then. You, know, you talk about resentment. I had some employees that resented me for that. I know they did. I mean, I, you, you could see it. You could hear it, right? The little chitter chatter. Can't was, hide money. Yeah, can't hide money. Um, you know, they, they talked about my finances. They talked about me not being savvy and all this stuff. I mean, it was just a million things. I had people leave, actually, quit. Um, I lost a key person this year, and, it, and it's it's uh, I I don't even I'm saying it because I I I, I wear my heart on my sleeve, but it, it it's affected me in a way that I didn't think it would affect me. Yep, I've lost a couple keys over the years, so I get it. Like I can sympathize. You know, these are people that you invest in personally, yep. you invest in professionally, you know, and uh, and you didn't leave for any other reason other than. Uh, I, why well, I don't really know the real reason, <clears throat> you know, it's like, I always tell, tell people it's, it's none of your business what people think of you. Yep. That's, that's tough. Yep. And it's not. Um, and if I ever ask somebody what they think of me, it's so that I can be a better person, not right. so that I can, uh, not so that I can use that against them to, to manipulate the situation. And this goes back to what I was saying about the art of diplomacy is letting somebody have your way. It's like, it's governing yourself in such a manner that you give people enough latitude to where um, they feel like they're making the decision that's best for everybody because yeah. you've done enough work in in, in help, helping them get there. You know, it's like, uh, I, I'll loan money to people and it's, 
I don't ever ask for it back. I don't chase anybody. Right. I never chased a girl. I never chased a car. I never chased, I don't chase things. I might work on things, but I don't chase them, right? So I'm not gonna chase you for money. If I loan you money, and if I loan you $1,000, if I loan you $10,000, if I loan you $10, and you don't come back to me with it, then that was what your friendship, that's what the cost to find out how loyal you were. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. So. Yeah, I mean, losing key people, that's another thing that's very hard in business. Um, you know, some people do it to hurt you or try to hurt you. Um, and I've told everybody before, and I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I know it kind of is sometimes. I told people, I said, I started this company without you, and I can finish it without you. Yeah. I, I, I would love to have you here working with me and helping me grow, and you can grow too. But I started this thing before you were even thought about. Yeah. And I've made it this far. Yeah, I didn't start a business so that I could have employees. Exactly. I started a business because I needed to be happy and I needed to be fulfilled at the yep. end of the day. And I didn't start my business until I was 30, dude. So yep. it was like, <clears throat> I did a lot of, I made a lot of other people a considerable amount of money. Right. And I can remember sitting down, I was selling cars and I had two kids or one kid and one on the way. And uh, I got my, I hit bonus for the first time. And I made almost 13000 that month. And I brought home almost 7300 that month. I remember it was 72, 87, like 78. Take home. Yeah. A lot of money to take home. Right. And I remember sitting in my truck, in my suit, looking at that check and going like, this is a lot of money. Yep. And I remember thinking it's not worth it. And that, that forever change i wish I, I still had that check up until a few years ago and i wished i had framed it right. to put it on the wall through because I, I like to do things like that to remind myself that stuff you know of the where you come from and Absolutely. how important where you're going is and how yeah. you get there but to your point um i have to remind people here every once in a while like look we're in an eight thousand square foot building and there's 10 hoists because i expect there to be 10 motorcycles being worked on i can't work on 10 motorcycles but i need certain number of hours because we've got to pay for this place you know right. yeah i mean um there there are things that that people just don't understand if you've never run a business i think that really there should be a requirement in this country a couple number one you know before you go to college you should work a job yep so you appreciate college yep um, or you know that you should or shouldn't go um, number two you should try to run a business that you start before you go work somewhere else. Okay, so how important is it? I, I I don't listen to financial advice from people who haven't signed the front of somebody else's check. Yep, I wouldn't either. So, and I, I have somebody who's in my life who may hear this at some point, and he told me, he goes, I don't think that matters at all. And I said, that's why I don't take advice from you. That's right. It's because you're not afraid enough if you're secure in everything that you do financially i don't think it's okay just to stack somebody i don't think it's okay to go make a bunch of money for somebody else and stack enough of it of it enough of their money that they give to you away so that you're you're comfortable yep. because i find comfortability in uncomfortable situations and that's a key you component don't know how to, to an survive, entrepreneur right if you've never signed a check you don't know how to survive the front of somebody else's check. It's, it's kind of like 
going to the grocery store and grabbing a steak versus going and killing your steak. Yeah. Because, I mean, maybe you don't know how to hunt. There's a relationship that happens between you and your food. When, when you go up north over Labor Day and you f- pick your hunting spot, you're making a commitment. Yep. I'm not going to eat any, any deer. I won't have any venison unless this spot works. That's right. I have to have, I have to find a way to get the venison to come to me too. Mm-hmm. Cause you can either stalk hunt yep. or sit hunt. Yep. And I'm a blind, I'm a ground blind guy. Same here. So I create a natural ground blind. I don't go buy one at Dick's Sporting Goods that I zip myself in so that I can be on my phone. Right. I hundred, I'm a hundred yard lane guy. I cut my lane. I hang a can in the tree at a hundred yards so I, I can see the hundred yard mark. And then I spend every weekend after that going up north, mm-hmm. putting corn and beets and stuff and creating traffic, right? And how much do you appreciate that deer once you kill it, right? Well, because now you've killed it. Mm-hmm. Now you have to carry it. That's right. Now you have to cape it. You have to, you have to carry it. You would clean it, carry it, cape it, and butcher it. I butcher my own deer. Mm-hmm. The only thing I pay somebody to do is make me sausage. That's right. So... There's that. It's that you, analogy again, right? Yeah, it's perfect. It's like growing a garden. Nobody knows how to grow a garden. They think you go down to Lowe's Foods or Publix and oh, grab a tomato. Oh, it's cute. I'll buy, a little, thing of, I'll buy yeah. a little thing of tomato seeds. Why do you think I was so concerned a couple months ago when they started talking about a food shortage? And and then 3,000 cattle. I mean, we can go down a wormhole if you want with me, yep. but 3,000 cattle die over last weekend. Exactly. And it, now, the, and now the answer to the at the end of that article is, but don't worry because GMO beef is coming. Yeah, I mean it's it's scary because you know people don't know how to hunt, people don't know how to grow a garden, and same with business. Like if you can't run a business and sign checks, you don't know how to make money, right? You don't know how to save money because you know when you run a business, you have to make it, keep it, and grow it so you can pay somebody else. You almost have to keep a wolf at your door at all times. Mm-hmm. That wolf at the door reminds you that this can all go away. I remind myself of that every day. You know, I try I to... I'm scared shitless. Yeah, and you need to be. Yeah. When I wake up, that's the first thing I think about when I hit the floor. Actually, I want to listen to the national anthem at 5 o'clock. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is like, holy shit, how are we going to stay alive today? How are we going to go out and compete and make money and keep these employees here and keep them working, keep them happy, keep them making money, keep them growing? It has to feel good, though, that you've created a company that at the end of the day, you can put enough people, you put you put food on people's tables, yep. a lot of people's tables. A lot of people's tables. And I'm not just talking about your employees, but your vendors. Yeah. People like me. You know, when yep. I sell a vapor honing job, I couldn't do it without a vapor honing cabinet. Yep. You know? It is exciting. I mean, I, I I still can't believe it. A lot of people ask me, you know, have you sat back and looked at this? And that's not my focus. Like, it's it's just not my focus. My focus is to keep moving forward, you know, keep focusing on what's working now, what's going to work in six months, what's going to work in a year. Um, you know, how do I keep growing the employees and, and growing their paychecks? And, right. You know, and that's an important thing. You know, we talk about resentment, the other like earlier, and I left this out, and it's huge. What people don't understand a lot of a lot about business owners too is they will not pay themselves, but the they'll last pay person, the employees. I'm the last person that gets paid. Yep. I'm the last person that gets paid, and 
I'll tell you what, I had a mechanic, um, the one that left two years ago, made over $50,000 working for me as a mechanic on a motorcycle at a motorcycle shop, an independent motorcycle shop. Yep. The, the level of pride that I had in that, I think exceeded the level of pride that what that person did and they did all the work, Yep. you know, but I think the resentment came in that, you know, I pay my guys flat rate and I, I think that they didn't see that. Mm -hmm. I, I think they, they don't see that they're, I pay for the lights. I pay for the, the, the box that we're standing in. I pay for all the equipment. You took you know? the, you took the risk, yeah. right? Take the ris risk, reap the reward. Yep. And there's so much entitlement. I don't know how I left that out at the first of this, this story here, but there's so much entitlement in the country. Yep. And COVID made it worse. Oh yeah. It exam it, 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 and it, it magnified just, it. It's, yeah. It's magnified everything. And, you know, because I was entitled coming out of college, you know, I worked for a year and a half. I thought I deserved more money. I thought people deserved, they owed me something. I thought that this world owed me something. And I realized real quick, the world didn't owe me shit. No, nothing. No, I don't put Period. a lot of stock in a degree other than I, I know it's hard to get. Yep. I don't have one. Um, but it's, you know, we get kids that come or guys, girls, whatever, adults that come out of school that are trained over in Orlando that trained to work at a Harley dealer. And I'm like, you don't yep. have any experience. You don't know, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. They're out of their mind. We have welders showing up. We have welders coming in for an interview. No, 25 Kids. bucks an hour, 30 bucks an hour. Bingo. Yeah. 25 bucks minimum. And we're like, do you realize that you have zero experience? You're talking to somebody that has years of experience that's not getting paid anywhere near that. Never will. And, oh, wait, the institution taught you this. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right? The place that you paid to get trained half-ass, and you're not even good. They're telling you to go take this big paying job. Will you show me where it is and I'll kiss your ass? Yeah. Well, and That's I tell, I tell them all yeah. About. Well, and I tell people when they come in here, Hey, I'm thinking about going to school. Really? How much is it? It's 35 grand. I said, I tell you what, you keep that 35 grand. You come work here for minimum wage for the same two years. And you'll be able to go to any dealership in the country because you worked here for me yep. because of the reputation that we have here. So. Yep. Um, I, this is a good place to, we're at an hour 20. Um, I just have one question for you. What kind of car was it? The crazy cars that yeah, I had? Yeah. So the first one, the one that your dad was like, what are they going to It was say? an Audi R8. That's my dream car. V10, V10 plus it was 2017. It was beautiful metallic blue. Um, an Audi R8. So that's the new body style. Yeah. So the one that I like, I believe it or not, my wife and I have the same dream car. It's an Audi R8 early, yep. carbon fiber side, white, all-wheel drive, the V6. It's it's worth it. There, those cars are worth it. It it is it was the most fun time. I. What's funny is now that you ask, I got to tell you about the other ones because there's one more that was my favorite. Yeah. So I I went right into a trade of that one into a McLaren 570s. And that was my favorite. Really? And and at the time, I didn't know anything about sports cars, right? I didn't know anything about cars, period. I didn't know anything about horsepower. <laughs> I didn't, you know, twin turbos, V10s, none of this stuff. And so when I had the McLaren, um, 
I didn't realize how nasty that car really was. All carbon fiber, weighed as much as a Honda Civic, had the power of a freaking <laughs> supercar. <laughs> uh, the car, the car was scary fast, obnoxiously loud. And one day I went up to mom and dad's. My wife and I rode up. We had we had dinner up there one night, and the car came in. And my dad said, "Does that thing have like a quiet mode on it?" Because he remembered the R8. It had you know the exhaust button on it. Right. I said, "No, nah, this thing's just full obnoxious rumble and." You know the back, the back popping and the exhaust and everything. But then I went out of that back to another R8 V10, a different color. Right. And then after that was a Porsche 911. And after that, I said, "I'm done for now. Like we're gonna ride this wave out and see how things are." But I felt so bad driving most of those cars. Really, I I have a poor man's mindset, like. So there's two different poor people mindset. There's two different poor. Yeah. There's the people that never had anything. So every time they, they've got to, they've got to continuously like fix themselves with stuff. And then there's the other poor man's men mentality where they deny themselves everything. Yep. That's kind of where I was at and being scared, right? Being scared that this could all go away tomorrow. You know, shit could hit the fan. Something could happen just being scared, you know, but it also taught me another lesson too, that, um, what well, taught me a couple lessons, like number one, these cars aren't the rave that people think they are, you know, kids idolize them. You and I both did probably sure. growing up. I know I did. Yeah. I was a muscle car nerd. I had the Ferrari Still Enzo on the wall. I had the Lambos, I had all this stuff. So, so that's <clears throat> the, the next biggest thing is people idolize this stuff too much. And, it taught me the really valuable lesson. Hey, like these cars are just cars. They have four wheels. They roll down the road just like my Honda Civic does, right? Or your truck. Yeah. I mean, it's they're all the same. One costs way too much money, and the other one doesn't. So it was just a good life lesson. Period. Taught me about money. Taught me about finances. Not not that business doesn't, but no, right. You know, when you go and ask a bank, "Hey, I need one hundred forty thousand dollars," they're like, "Ha, okay, right. what have you done?" You know. Yeah. Prove to me that you'll be responsible with a hundred twenty thousand dollar car payment, you know, or a hundred twenty thousand, hundred forty thousand, hundred fifty, you know, car. Like, show me you're going to be responsible with this, and you're going to pay me. I I have a thing with finance now. Like, I'm I have actually got myself to a point to where I can have pretty much anything I want. Yep. And I look at it, and I will look at it to death, and then I envision myself with it, and I'm like, and then I vision not having the money that it took to get to that, and how much work led up to having the money to do that. And then I'm like, okay, the, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Uh, I have a friend who's very wealthy, and he has kind of the same business model that you do, but you wouldn't know him. He, he builds heat treating furnaces, and he's in his 80s now. And when I was moving down here in 2010, I wouldn't have been able to move down here had this friend of mine not helped me. Uh, but he told me, he goes, I'm going to give you some advice. Don't ever buy anything that you can lease. Don't ever lease anything you can rent and don't ever rent anything you can borrow. And, uh, that has stuck with me. And he's talking about stuff, yep. the kind of stuff you and I are talking about, just right. stuff. Yep. And, uh, it stuck with me. It's just materialistic. We're materialistic humans, right? And it's Okay. As long as it doesn't it make you immoral, unethical, yeah. or put you in a position where you're financially unstable. Figure out how to enjoy it, get rid of it, and move on.
Yeah, everything I buy that's like that is is um, it's a little bit of an investment piece where I'm like, yep. okay, I've got to be able to unload this at the end of this, or it's not worth having. Yep. So, Jonathan, I appreciate you coming all the way from North Carolina to hang out with me today and uh, and be on the Garage Built podcast. Um, go follow Vapor Honing Technologies at uh, at Vapor Honing Technologies on Instagram is the best place, right? And you have a YouTube channel, which is what. Vapor Honing Technologies. Okay, so it's all under the same name. Yep, all under the same. Awesome, man. Thank you so very much. Appreciate it.